This Cool Is Out podcast with Mike and Miles. We're all about asking questions and finding solutions for all things education. School is out. Now let's get started. Hey, Miles. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm great. Awesome. So this week, I think we planned on talking about, is it really that bad? What do you mean by that? The state of the educational system, public education, is it really that bad? Right. And we've talked about how on the podcast, we've talked a whole lot about problems and Mm -hmm. solutions. And sometimes when you talk about problems associated with anything, you start to get the sense that things aren't good. Right. We're asking ourselves the question and everyone else, is it really that bad? <laughs> so that's that's some of the things that I've thought about driving forward into this conversation is so there's so much media out there. There's so many articles written. I even saw a, um, a local news, a newscast on TV talking, posting scores, posting the uh, the state scores and all the schools around saying there's a lot of room for improvement and these schools aren't measuring up and should you be concerned and those things are concerning to me not necessarily that the schools are scoring what they're scoring but that the message is being broadcast out there that things are not okay and you should as a parent or community member be worried so that's what i think that we're going to talk about and and uh Maybe highlight some things that are that are doing well. I know that the guidance counselor that I work with says, "What? So give me a positive. Give me some positives." I think that's important that we highlight those, and then maybe some things that that we could talk about improving. That I don't know. Maybe ways of improving things that others wouldn't consider fully. Right, and and we we've talked about coming into this podcast, regardless of what we come up with. We're still going to look for solutions and ways to be better. But as we look to progress, we're not necessarily always saying that the things that are happening right now are awful or even bad in any way. So we'll see We'll see how the conversation goes. And I guess we'll try to answer the question, is it really that bad? Great. So... Let's talk historically for a second, Miles. I know that you've done a little research here. Um, tell me about this this one article or, or whatnot. It's uh, A Nation at Risk. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah. Uh, a Nation at Risk, people within education may be familiar with it, probably learned about it at some point. But Nation at Risk is a report that came out in 1983. And a lot of historians, educational historians, will cite this report as something that had a profound impact on public education from that point forward. Basically, what the report said is that the nation's schools were failing, and if drastic corrective actions were not taken, the United States would be overtaken economically on a global scale by other countries that had education systems that were outperforming those in the United States. So knowing that, and you, I mean, you've been around since 1983, and I have been too, would you say that that has occurred? Are, are we being out, outclassed by so many other nations and overtaken as a country? Well, you can look at different measures. I do not get the sense that the United States has fallen behind anybody on the world stage. Um, we're living in the United States, and we like to think, hopefully, that we're still living in the greatest country in the world. I have never once gotten the sense in my lifetime that the United States was 
behind anybody as far as being a global power or being able to provide people the type of life that we want to be able to, to give. Right. So I, I would agree with you on that. On, on the world stage, I'd say we're doing okay. You know, in simple terms, I don't think that the state of education in, in the country is so, so bad that we should be, you know, like learned that, that, that we're failing. So. And I, I guess um, to, to go back to the nation at risk and what happened with that, I like to look at some national data on student performance. And a really good place to find that is the National Assessment of Education Progress. This group, this organization has been giving an assessment to students since 1971. And they've been kind of, they issue what's called the nation's report card. And they tell everyone, this is how schools are doing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So they started doing this in 1971 and just want to pull a few interesting numbers. In 1971, the reading score for 13-year-olds that they assessed in that year was 255, okay? And think this is about, you know, a decade before that report came out, A Nation at Risk. So at that time, we're, you know, we're looking at how things were going in 1983, and in that report, basically putting out the assumption that our schools aren't doing a good enough job. We have 255. But in 1971, I don't think that we were falling behind anyone on the world stage, at least as far as I know. In 2023, students in the United States of America on that same assessment scored a 256. (laughs) (laughs) So think about all the improvements, all of the things that the country has gone through educationally since 1971, and we are at the exact same level at least according to this measure, you can use any measure that you want, but this is one measure that you can look to that's been given consistently for the past 50 years mm-hmm. and say, our students are doing exactly the same as they were doing in 1971. And I would venture to take it a step further and say, in the 1950s, they were probably performing at about the same level on a similar measure. So what's that tell us? I think that tells us one thing, that we have a mindset as a country knowing that we're going to do the best that we can given the resources that we have, and the best that we can with those resources has been pretty consistent. So the best that we're doing is still okay, because we said before we even jumped into these numbers, I don't think it's all that bad. You know, under certain measures, we're, we're still doing okay and clearly we have been since 71, unless 256 is a terrible number, and we've already been overtaken by every other country. Right. I don't think that's the case. Right. And you will see every year, you'll at a certain time of year, you'll see data come out, and it's not the national assessment of education progress. It's a world assessment, and the United States will be ranked educationally with all other industrialized countries in the world. The United States consistently for probably the last 15 or 20 years has ranked in the bottom, like 15 to 20 in those measurements uh, with some movement in there, but about 15 to 20 with 15 or 20 other countries in the world outperforming the United States on some standardized tests. They always assessed reading. They always assessed mathematics. When that data comes out, there's always a national conversation. What's going on in the nation's schools? Our schools are failing. You know, China is number two or three. 
we're being overtaken by China. And you'll find Estonia right now was <laughs> yeah. number two, yeah. which we could talk about. I don't know that we have to talk about now, but this data is being used to create the sense that our education system is failing. Since 1983, I think that's been the sense. We are at risk. We're failing. We need to do so much better. Yeah, that's... that's it, it's tough for me to, to get into that conversation because it leads me down a road that asks very difficult conversations, and it there those conversations can be very polarized, too. So if I were to repeat the question, is it really that bad, my answer would be not for everybody, but maybe for some. And this this is where it almost immediately gets polarized because when you compare ourselves on the world stage, look at some of the things that we are experiencing putting into that report that other countries either aren't putting into the report or maybe don't suffer the same the same consequences that we suffer. I mean, our our GNP within the country is the highest, if not like one of the highest in the world, yet we also have a considerable homeless population. We have an incredible GNP, but we also have an insane number of incarcerated individuals. Um, and that doesn't even drill down into who those individuals are or who those individuals are who are homeless. So those are very pointed and, and delicate conversations to have, and they, they stir up a lot of emotion. But at the same time, to not have those conversations within this context it does a disservice, in my opinion. So let's try to frame this like this conversation in this way, then. I think the danger in asking this question is that a lot of times you create two sides. Yes. And you have to say, yes, it's really bad, or wait a second, we're doing a great job. Right now, I'm not prepared to fall down on either side of that line, but I think that's the danger. Because when teachers hear that, when school administrators hear that, when people in education unions hear that, what they think of is all of the hard work and the effort and the diligence that they've put into their careers, which if you're doing it the right way, is your life. And they say, wait a second, our schools are doing a great job. Mm -hmm. Our schools are doing this and this and this and this, and this is how our, we are preparing our students for now and the future. And they get really defensive. Right. I'm not prepared to do that because I think we've proven on the podcast that we're willing to look at problems that exist. So we're asking the question, is it really that bad? We're saying it's not much different, at least as far as how our students performed 50 years ago. Right. But are there things that either need to change or could be improved for, for us to get somewhere else? And I don't know if we want to go into this now. I have it prepared for when we talk about some solutions. But when you cited those two um, pieces of information, I wanted to mention this. When you cited the incarceration rate in the United States, you're citing the percentage of people living in poverty in the United States. We are not doing well as a nation in those areas. Right. Those things have grown exponentially over the past 50 years. So the question I would ask is, if those problems are only getting worse, what has our education system done to address those things? But holistically, one thing that I am really attached to, haven't talked about it on this podcast, is an idea of democratic education. 
and preparing citizens to live in a democratic world. And I'll go back to this later, but I would say that's one of the re- that's one of the ways where we have failed drastically as a school system to prepare our people in our country to function in a great, vibrant democracy. Yeah, that's a good point, Miles. And again, I, I will agree with you. I'm not ready to fall on either side of of the points that I made earlier. That's definitely not where where we intended this to go. I thought it was worth mentioning. But at the same time, if, if we, I guess there's different arenas to look at this. So on a world stage, I was going for what are we putting into the data that's collected to, that represents us on the world stage? But then what are we looking at within our own selves that says since 1971 until now, our score really hasn't changed educationally on the way that we're impacting kids? That's that's more in line of what are we teaching our kids? Is it, is it okay? I would say that it's it's okay compared to what we were doing in 1971. Our kids, the output is seems to be relatively similar, um, but that's not to say that there isn't room for improvement. But the message that's being put out there doesn't say that. I a lot of times I hear that message that we need to improve or. You know, I don't like that, that my kids aren't learning this or that they're doing this instead. That's that's worth talking about, I think. And we talked about this before the podcast. I've stated this in the same way before. The, the standards trap, I think, applies to this discussion. Because when you talk about, are, is it really that bad? The data, some of the data we've just cited is from standardized test data. The data that you'll find on how the United States is doing on the world stage is from standardized test data. Mm-hmm. We know that standardized tests do not have the ability to measure critical thinking, problem solving, creativity, which are the three biggest factors that have been identified in recent research as what we should be focusing on. Right. So if we're focused on improving math and reading scores, which no one would be in this room or any other room and say schools shouldn't teach kids math and teach kids how to read well. But if that is our focus, just we're going to improve this score so that we can get ahead of Estonia. If we did that, Mm -hmm. if we raised our scores as a nation by 15 points and got into second place and put Estonia number three, would we have solved whatever problem exists. Right. And I want to go back to something that you said kind of in the the pregame to this discussion. In 50 years in measuring our success, 50 years, we've had 50 years to to do something. We've we've come up with the same number on this assessment. What's I mean, well, <laughs> how do you how do you look at 50 years of of trying to make improvements and being at the same spot? Um, when when we look at math instruction, for example, are are we teaching a different kid nowadays? Has has the instruction say, stayed the same? So for people that might say like, there's there's value in teaching a classic approach to learning math. You should learn to add, subtract, multiply, divide. I won't disagree with that. But we've had 50 years of doing that and came up with the same result. If that result is good, then let's say that 50 years of doing it is good. We don't need to make a lot of changes to that. Um, the same thing with reading. Are kids learning to read? If they are and that number is good, let's say that we've done a good job. But who is keep who keeps telling us 
that we're doing poorly. And if it's a standardized test, let's look at that trap. What if that trap is saying, hey, you don't do algebra very well? Okay, I don't do algebra very well. Or you don't, you didn't read this paragraph that has no meaning to you at all, and you didn't understand what it was trying to tell you. You're right, because it's 2023 right now. I don't need to learn about whatever that paragraph was about. I'm being exposed to something entirely different in 2023 than I was in 1971. Please don't expect me to do 1971 in 2023. So there's a, there, there's a lot to... There's a lot to kind of cut up in that conversation. And Mike, before we started the podcast, I said to you that I think that our school system is doing an adequate job of preparing people to live and be successful upon graduation in the world today. Mm -hmm. It's my opinion that we're doing an awful job of preparing people to live and be successful in the world of the future. And what I mean by that is that we're focused on those 1971 goals. We've locked in on those things. We're still trying to just get good at something that we were okay at 50 years ago. And if we just try to get better at the goal from 50 years ago, we're not going to be ready for the future. The world has changed in so many different ways, we can't even talk about them all right now. Mm-hmm. But just saying that our schools aren't good enough at whatever test we're going to give, and you know what? We're going to drill down on those things and just focus on getting back to basics and a standards-based. That camp has had 50 years. Right. They've had their time. That's what I'm saying. And I don't want to sound like I'm being too passionate about this, but they have had their time. It hasn't changed a single thing. Show me one way that education has gotten better, the system, not like what a teacher is doing in their classroom. or right. do, Those things are awesome. We want to hit on those things. Right. Not saying that. Show me one way that the system has gotten better since 1971 and helped to improve the lives of kids who are coming into our schools. And I'll say that approach has worked. It's moved the numbers zero. Mm-hmm. And even if it moved the numbers 10, should I say this? So what? Right. So what? And Miles, thank you for saying that because now you're digging into where, what I've been passionate about for so long. And in, even in our, in our talk before the podcast, we've said it has no effect to that number. What When a kid leaves a building or when a teacher comes into a building, so kids and teachers come into a building and then they either go home or graduate or whatever you want to call that. They come in, they go out. What's their perception of what just happened to them? If their perception is negative, do you think that those kids are going to do as well? And there's research on this left and right. Do you think they're going to do as well or have a, a as clear projection as if they went in and left happy? So their perception on their education means to me more than that number on that standardized test. Because guess what? I can cite evidence that says there's kids going into schools happy and leaving schools happy and being successful in life, and that's a failing school according to a standardized test. And what has changed? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Just the perception. Yes. Just the perception. Yes. 
Think about this. In the 1930s, my grandmother went to elementary school right over this hill, real close to us. Mm -hmm. She came out of there and was part of what has been labeled the greatest generation. They changed the world. They won World War II. They came out of the Great Depression. They industrialized this country. And we have been wildly successful with a 1930s curriculum. Oh, we need to progress. We need to advance. The same kids that live in the same neighborhood as my grandmother almost 100 years ago Mm -hmm. are now going to a school that's labeled, whatever, a 2 out of 10. Yeah. This place is doing an awful job of preparing people for the future. We are failing. We're at risk as a nation. We are failing. That something doesn't sit right with me. But what, like you talked about, now those kids go to that school and they feel like they're going to a bad school. Those teachers go to that school and they feel like they're teaching at a bad school. Even though they're doing great things maybe in their lessons, in their classrooms. They're working with those students who are dealing with some maybe very hard problems every day. And on whatever level, they know they're going to work at a school that someone else is saying is doing an awful job. Yeah, and I'm here to say... Even as a even even to a community of of learners, I'm going to provide opportunities for your student in this school. They're going to welcome those opportunities. I'm going to try and create a, an idea in their head that they can choose the path that they want to go. And the teachers coming into this building are going to feel encouraged to do their job under that that idea, not under the idea that hey the kids aren't reading at a certain grade level and you need to do a better job or else something's going to happen. And I don't know what that something is, but it's going to happen. So threat, 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 punitive, punitive, punitive. We need to do better, better, better. Do what better and how? And the people who are saying that we're not doing well enough also aren't telling us how better to do it. And if they are telling us how better to do it, what is it that they're comparing what we're doing to? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to answer your question. They don't know. Exactly. They, and that's the standards, I'm just going to call it the standards approach. You could call it a traditional approach. I don't care what you want to call it. They don't know. They've been trying to do the same thing for 50 years. The number hasn't moved. I'm going to return to what we talked about on one of our first podcasts, and I think this needs to come back up. What's the goal? We just have the wrong goal. (laughs) And we're using the wrong measures to assess that. I think that's part of what it comes down to, to me. Is it really that bad? We're doing great things in our schools. We are able to sometimes transform the lives of students in ways that wouldn't happen if the schools that we have in this country didn't exist. I was thinking about this coming into the podcast, COVID, and when students weren't able to go to school daily, some of the things that happened as a result. Mm -hmm. We talked about this in the school lunch podcast also, but they didn't get fed routinely often they didn't have the social emotional support that's provided by schools and for uh, the first time in a long time you heard people say oh geez i finally realized what schools do or what teachers do i didn't hear one time ever in those conversations though my son or daughter isn't getting algebra one right i didn't hear that i heard the social aspects that aren't there the support from teachers, administrators, counselors, that 
social, emotional well-being that schools provide. I didn't hear, I honestly did not hear, I'm not getting good math instruction today. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's worth reflecting on and thinking about moving forward. Sure. You heard things like, my kid missed school. There you go. My kid missed going to school and learning and, and being with his friends and teachers. So, yeah, well put. So, again, is it really that bad? Let's look at uh, a measure that tells us on a large scale if it's really that bad. Graduation rate. So, yeah, Mike, I pulled some statistics because I was interested in this. Graduation rate is something that's cited often as a measure of school success. I looked at the graduation rate in for high school students in the state of Pennsylvania. It's 89%. Pretty good. Say there, there's room for improvement. I would like to graduate 100%, but doing about 89%. So then I was interested. I looked at the graduation rate for West Point. It's 84%. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> And my point with bringing those two statistics to this episode is just that people probably look at West Point's graduation rate, 84%, and they say they're doing a pretty good job of weeding out the people that shouldn't graduate. The same way we look at high school graduation rate and say if it's not 100%, this school's failing. Right. You should graduate 100% of your students. What are you doing wrong? If we look at it that way, shouldn't West Point graduate 100% of their students also? What's wrong with West Point? Right. There's some other thing going on there. Um, and, and I guess this is, this is really interesting when we talk about that, that graduation rate. I'm only going to make a, a little side, side note of that. You know, people who advocate for uh, a stringent or strict education and, and say, well, you know what, if, if kids are making bad decisions, they don't deserve or they shouldn't. Again, I think I've said this on a past episode. Be careful what you wish for, because if you're in the business of kicking kids out, even for behavior or poor behavior, what community are you creating by kicking kids out of your schools? So be very, very, very careful with that. So I think you kind of touched on that point with with West Point and with the state of our with the graduation rate of Pennsylvania being 89 percent. What is it that you're creating? I, I guess I would ask that question, too. What is it that you're creating by weeding those kids out after they've gotten in? So. Right. So there's probably more in-depth conversation we can have just around graduation rate. I just wanted to cite that as another measure and give you something to think about that the disparity there between PA high school graduation rate and West Point graduation rate. And people can chew on that and contemplate. Maybe we'll return to it someday. Here, here's another one, too. It's kind of kind of next on the list is, is it really that bad? If, if it's really that bad, if it's as bad as as sometimes it's being painted to be, then wouldn't there be just money flowing into this at an exorbitant rate? Like, shouldn't there be like an absolute influx of tax dollars, of, of relief for failing schools? I mean, wouldn't you, have, wouldn't you have felt that as a taxpayer, this incredible burden of, wow, we're doing so poorly that my tax dollars are being significantly increased to go to programs to improve the state of education. I haven't, I haven't really felt that. I mean, I, I'm still kind of in that same realm of paying a, a, a regular tax for schools and kind of on track to do what we've been doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm not, 
the school district with which I pay taxes to isn't coming to my house saying, hey, you know what? We're in dire need here. We need we need to bolster taxes. So, and I guess where I'm, I'm going with this too is some people have said, well, you can't just throw money at the problem. I'm like, no, you can't just throw money at a problem and expect it to go away. But we need to assess the problem. What is the problem? Is the problem academic or is the problem something different if there is a problem at all? And I guess where I'm, I'm trying to get with this too is if there is a problem, to me the problem is more a perceptual problem than it is an academic performance problem. Mm-hmm. Because the perception is being painted through media, through other sources, that it's not so good when we're saying right now that it's not so bad either. So what is it that's not so good? And if you keep pushing this idea on me, it's more of a perception. And that perception can get kind of deep. It can get deep into teachers that, so the perception is, is that I'm not doing a good job. Now I'm stressed and I'm, I'm worried about what I'm doing as a professional. It could be the perception that a student has. So I'm going into a building that doesn't, that's poorly performing. Now what, what's in it for me as a student if I'm going to a poorly performing school? Right. Or if I'm a community member with a poorly performing school in, as my community, geez, should I even stay here? Did I make a good life decision to be here? Right. <laughs> and I'm going to return again to some of the things we talked about in the What's the Goal podcast. If all those things you're saying are true, I think it's not a stretch to say the mission is poor. The mission that we've established is poor. 1983, our schools are failing. These are our test scores. We need to raise those scores. We need to do better math and reading or else we're going to fall behind. Okay, we're doing the exact same or maybe a little better or a little worse or whatever, but those are the measures. The mission is failed. Teachers are leaving the profession at a rate which is faster than ever before seen. It is difficult to attract young and talented people to the teaching profession or education in general because of some of the things that you just cited. Everyone feels like they have attempted to win this battle and they failed. And people are saying, you're still not doing a good job. We've given you all the resources that you need. You're still not doing any better than in 1983. But if you look at that report and the authors who wrote it, they'll tell you that wasn't true. Right. Our schools were actually doing okay then. So what I'm saying is, and I think you're saying the same thing, those numbers, while they can be used to assess how things are going, are not the only thing that we need to use. They can't be the goal. Right. We need to make new goals. Yes. And I would say largely 1971 or 2023, our schools aren't doing exactly what they need to do to prepare people for the world of today and tomorrow. Mm -hmm. We've said this. We can do a lot better. I believe that to be true. At the same time, I don't think the work that people are coming to do every single day in our schools is bad. I think a lot of times they're giving it all they have. They're trying to accomplish the wrong things. But the people who really know, they're doing the hard work that doesn't show up in those numbers. That's right. 
And they're even working to improve those numbers. And a lot of times are, and people are still telling them you're not good enough. So to that point, let me, let me give you a, a little story. I've shared this with you personally before. There's a school not too far from here. It is a charter school and they, they take difficult children. Um, because it's a charter school, they still they participate in Keystone testing, the, the Pennsylvania standardized testing, but they take difficult children. Some of the children that are there are court-placed. Some of the children that are there are um, electing to go there. So this is for troubled youth. And when I talk to the director of that school face-to-face, the, the director said to me, we fail on our Keystone exams every single year. Our academic performance is a failure every single year. And I said to him, how does that make you feel? And his response is, this place needs us more than we need that score on the exam. And that there was a moment in time that I will never ever forget because that person said to me after that, his next statement was, There is a line to get into this school because there are people that know that they won't graduate unless they go to that school. We've said on how many podcasts we need to treat individuals like individuals, and there are individuals that need an extreme high level of structure that that school provides in order to be successful. And because of that, there's a line going out the door that they can't even accept all the people that want to attend that school. They take people who are court placed. They take people who are in dire need of graduating because of poor choices they've made. But they also then fill their ranks with people who want to go there. And the line is out the door. And he says, I don't care about those standardized tests. What are they going to do? Close us down? And what a refreshing attitude to take. He's figured out the goal is wrong. Right. His mission is to give each one of those students what they need to be successful later. If they only focused on test scores and that's how they chose to measure themselves, and let's say hypothetically they focused on that every day and they got every student at that school to be proficient or advanced on those reading and math tests, would those kids have what they needed to be successful? If that's all we gave them, we're going we're gonna to do great on these tests. Mm-hmm. Are you now ready for life because you were proficient and not basic on this math and reading test? Right. They figured it out. And Miles, I don't know if you've ever been told this. I have been, and I don't, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I've been told, Mike, you don't want to be in school improvement with the state. That is something you do not want to be in. And I, my answer was, why? Why do I not want to be in school improvement? The amount of work that you have to do in order to create plans and assess those plans and make sure that this and that's happening. And my response to that was, was I kept it in my head, but that's what I do now. That's what I do now. I measure what we do, but on more than one scale than a standardized test, believe you me. I measure what we do on a daily basis, and I'm very reflective about what we do. But I can tell you foremost, before those standardized test scores come in, I want to make sure that my kids were leaving my school the same way they left my classroom, excited and ready to come back tomorrow. That's where I stand as a school leader. That statement might get me fired in the future because somebody's like, well, you're not... I'm not what? Dedicated to my community, dedicated to the kids that attend our school. That's what I am. 
and the rest hopefully will come along. But if it doesn't come along, I dare you to point that finger at me or the teachers or other people who aren't working hard every single day to provide something to our kids more than a preparedness for Algebra 1, science, or a literacy exam. And I'm glad that you said that in that way. I've kind of heard you say those things in a similar way over the years, but I'm glad that you said them here because I feel like everyone needs to hear those words from you and that perspective. And you wrote down some of the things that would go into looking at your level of success as a school leader, you know, looking at the the way that students feel and their morale in your building, the way that teachers feel and their morale, the types of after-school programming that you're able to offer students or extracurricular opportunities and just opportunity in general. None of those things show up on those tests. If you're focused on the bigger goals for your students and your school, you personally or other school leaders out there or teachers, that's what matters. That's we what matters. know that's what matters. We're, we're not going to be defined by just the results on a couple of standardized tests. Right. And I'm going to beat that dead horse one more time. The thing that keeps me going isn't when parents come up to me and say, I love that my kids go to your school because they're reading at grade level. I don't hear that. That is not what keeps me going. Right. And you could probably cite 100 kids that you've worked with in the past five years that while hopefully their academics improved over the time that they were in your building, the other things that they got out of their educational experience, some of the things we've talked about are more important we know that as educators, the way that you're able to inspire, motivate, help, and support that aren't going to show up on those tests. And maybe sometimes they do, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be defined by a single data point that's really easy and convenient to use and put a score on a building. Right. Now, I'm not going to say that the state hasn't tried to make improvements to their standardized assessment measures. I mean, they, on from the the No Child Left Behind, which was you know, it, at the time I was a young educator, I looked at that as being very punitive. We're either going to succeed or we're going to get in trouble. And I, I mean, we felt that. I felt that as a young teacher. It's like, sure. whoa, geez, you mean they're going to come in and like fire us and replace us? Yes, you'll be replaced and they'll, they'll well, they're not going to. They didn't. Sure. Um, and then it's, it's changed to the newer model of, well, now we're going to put in a measure for closing that, that gap in achievement. So... Now the state kind of measures on their assessment mastery and growth, if you will. But at the same time, there's still a little measure of, of, there's a little punitive in there too. It's like, well, if you don't make this and you don't achieve that, then you're going to get in trouble. Okay, and what does trouble look like? We're going to make you write plans and you're going you're gonna to be burdened with all these things. We've addressed this in this podcast just a minute ago in other podcasts. So they're trying in their own little way to say, We want you to have a sense of accountability. Thank you. I take that. I accept that. Um, We want you to focus on the fact that if you can't get every single kid to master everything you teach, we at least want you to show that they're growing. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you. We're going to do that. Um, But is that happening? Is that happening all the time? Not really on that assessment. I mean, but please don't tell me that my kids aren't growing. 
or that my kids aren't achieving. Our kids have problems that make it so that it's difficult for them to present that data on that assessment. Um, but that's not to say that it isn't happening. Again, we've mentioned before, I've mentioned before, I still need that level of accountability as a school leader. I need that push in order to know that I'm still pushing for academics in our building. But there's more to school than just the output of academics. Right. It's a fine measuring point. It's yes. fine. It is not the be-all be and end-all of what our system should be. Return to the initial question, is it really that bad? I guess it depends on what you're looking at. I mean, if, if you want to call our schools bad because our kids are, are not performing well on an Algebra 1 test, okay, then, then call our schools bad. Um, but I, I will also say, do you know what the number one most failed course in the country is? Algebra 1. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And why is that? Why is Algebra 1 the most, the most failed course in the country, but it's also then the number one measure that says whether our schools are doing well or not? Well, one of them. I mean, that, that's something that you should just ask yourself. Those are, those are questions that, that should be talked about. And we know, or I know, that Algebra 1 is a, what they call a gateway course to future college success. Mm-hmm. So and I don't want to talk a whole lot about algebra, but I think it can be used in this conversation that it's a way, that course, success in that course is a way of determining someone's future success in a lot of ways if they're going to be able to go to college and be successful, even though the actual application of the skills taught in that course probably have very little to do with how someone will do in college, depending on what major they choose to take, or what they're going to do in their future career outside of academia. Mm -hmm. And it's just a, a little illustrative piece of how we put things in place in our system that really don't matter. Right. I don't know how else to say it. They really don't matter. If you gave me uh, the Algebra 1 Keystone test right now, I have no idea how I would do on it. But when I go to help a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old with Algebra 1 and it's out of context in my mind, I then have to say, let me see an example. I don't use Algebra 1 daily to do the things I need to do to be successful. Now, either I'm screwed up and... I'm not using Algebra 1 right, or it's not applicable to daily life. Right. And if it's not applicable to daily life, I can ask the question, why are we so worried about it? Right. And I would say the same thing when it comes to um, the measure of, of reading. I mean, we've talked about this personally before. So I'm not reading at grade level. Well, uh, here you go. I'm 47 years old. Do I read at grade level? Do I read at grade level for a 47-year-old gentleman? I don't know. I, 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 don't, I really don't know. I can tell you I don't read, or it, it took me decades to read for, for leisure. I, I, I read science fiction and stuff like that. But who's to say that, that I'm reading at grade level? What's my fluency rate? I don't know. 
We've talked about that before. How's your How's your ability at identifying the main idea in that paragraph that you read, the first paragraph of the novel? How are you doing on that? Yeah, right. It depends. Were you able to read the fifteen? Or were you able to do fifteen out of fifteen on the fifteen comprehension questions for the novel that you just read? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you know what the answer when it, comes to, when it comes to something like that is? It depends. Was I interested in it? Did I care about what I was reading? You know, did it have a function for me other than to get a score on something? Because if it didn't, I probably didn't. I'll give you a great measure. I'll give the state of Pennsylvania a great measure to use, or the federal government, or whoever whoever wants to use it. Let's give a reading enjoyment test mm-hmm. to every student in the United States of America. Yeah. And let's see how much they enjoy reading. Yeah. Based on their school experience. And let's give it, let's give the same test. Let's travel back in time and give it 50 years ago. Yeah. And let's see how many people enjoyed reading then. Because I can tell you I've looked at data on reading. And people are reading for leisure and enjoyment much less than they were 20, 30, and 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. I would ask the question, why? You could cite a whole lot of different things, but I will tell you that in my opinion, one of the things that's happening is people are being taught not to like to read in school. Well, let's look at the other side of that too. Let's The, the enjoyment piece of it and then the functionality piece of it. Here's an interesting one. I, I haven't looked at the data. I haven't even searched for it if, it if it exists at all. But if we're even going to measure the functionality of reading, why don't we look at the number of people that have or do not have driver's licenses? You have to be literate in order to take an exam to be a driver. So you're saying that it's such an emergent need that we have that our kids aren't testing on reading, but they all drive. Well, hold on a second. That tells me that reading is a tool to understanding something. And it is. And they're using their tool to get a driver's license. What else are they using that tool for successfully? But we're going to say that people are failing. Right. And gonna or schools are failing. Yeah, I want to take that and shift in one direction. I've made the point that I don't think education's sole purpose should be preparing people to be successful in the workforce. I think there's more to that than education. But just let's look at the workforce for a second. Do we believe that the education system in the United States of America is preparing people to be successful in the workforce? Whatever jobs are out there in the United States, are people graduating from high school and not being prepared to fill those jobs? I will tell you the unemployment rate is very low in the United States, Mm -hmm. one of the lowest all-time levels. I would tell you that you can look at articles that will tell you that there are literally thousands of people walking around with advanced degrees in mathematics, physics, and other STEM fields that are not employed. And you want to hear opinions from people somewhere that say, we need to prepare more people in the STEM fields. We need to prepare people for coding or whatever that is. I don't think that that's true. I'm sorry. I don't think I can't find any actual data that tells me that there are thousands of unfilled jobs in the United States that we just can't fill because we don't have a qualified workforce. Right. And is there some kind of an assumption out there that all future jobs are computer science related? Because that seems to be the thing that I keep I keep feeling that in my soul. Like, oh, our kids aren't ready by the time they graduate for the jobs of the future, which are all computer science oriented and STEM field jobs. Are they all? Is that what all the jobs are? 
They're all computer science related and technology and, and rocket science? Hmm. So, Mike, what I was trying to do there is just basically make the point that saying that our schools are failing or they're not doing a good enough job, to me, doesn't always hold water when you're just looking at making people employable for current careers or future careers, because it seems like our country is fully employed, people are doing well, and we're a world leader. Mm -hmm. The two things don't mesh. Right. And that sense of community, I think, is where you're getting at. It goes all the way up the ladder. Sense of community within your own home, sense of community within where you live, sense of community within the country as a whole. There's nothing wrong with teaching those layers or putting down that foundation of in addition to an academically rigorous program, I'm also going to teach you how to be a productive citizen or somebody to contribute to your local community or somebody who's going to be able to be a family-oriented person. Those things we should not get away from. Those should be very, very important pieces of our curricula. So I know that you're passionate about that, Mike. I am, Mike. And one of the things we've seen, we've seen school, the time students spend in school kind of dominates their young lives. And you would say we have other, we have things like social emotional learning being put into schools. We have things like character education being put into schools, those types of things, because people have said, wait a second, the students who are graduating from school, we want them to have good values also. We want them to be able to have positive relationships. All those things are very important. We've been focused on reading and math, but schools do so much more. Right. Yes, they do. They are important. Can we measure someone's social-emotional competencies with a standardized test? Probably not. Do we get a sense from talking with our students and families at school that we're doing a good job or need to do better at those things? I'm sure that we do. Mm -hmm. Those things are very important. And one of the things that I would just like to make as a point is that John Dewey, a hundred years ago was talking about the idea of democracy and education. And he was talking about how we need to teach in a democratic way and we need to treat students in a democratic way to be able to have our citizens be well-functioning members of a democratic society. I would cite some of the things that you mentioned earlier as far as incarceration rate, as far as percentage of students living in poverty, as, as far as if you just look at the current political climate, as how it seems that our country is getting along together between political parties, things that have happened, the future moving forward, it doesn't always look bright to me. What I would say is, is that we've been focusing on some of the wrong things in school as we should have been focusing on teaching people to live democratically and together and to function well and how they can live in the system that we have, and we failed in that way, and you're seeing a breakdown in some of the institutions that depend on people to be well-schooled in those things. Right. And so I guess as a, as, as a bit of advice to parents, future parents, if you're going to walk into a school or if you're going to research whether you want your child to go to this school or that school, 
Let there be something in addition to those marks. Maybe go have a conversation and ask just an interesting question. How do your kids like going to school here? What? How do your staff enjoy working here? What's your perception of this school? What do you value most about working here? Those are great questions to ask either school employees, kids, other parents in the community, in addition to how, how well do they fare academically. But if you're going to ask how well they fare academically, please include other courses outside of what are assessed on national exams or mm-hmm. on state exams. Mm-hmm. So get, get a little bit of a, a qualitative approach to that. And that's one of the things that I've thought of in related to this topic as a possible solution. We give, at the building where I work, we give climate surveys every year. And I believe that's a requirement through the state. We give climate surveys to students. We give climate surveys to faculty. We give climate surveys to parents, all three groups, and we collect that data. I believe that that is probably the most important data set that we collect at any time during the year, and we should rely more on that as far as assessing our schools. How do our parents think we're doing in preparing their young people and giving them a good, safe, quality place? How do teachers feel? How do students feel about how this place is preparing them for the future? Mm -hmm. And I think that if we relied more on some of those types of measures, and like you're saying, a holistic, qualitative approach to assessing a building, we'd be in a lot better place. Because when you are looking at moving to a new community or where thinking about where your kids go, go to school and you Google search the school, one of the first things that pops up is that great school score for any school. Mm-hmm. And it might say a eight, a nine, zero, all the way, you know, it could be any number. And if you see a low number somewhere, you're going to think that school isn't doing a good job. There's a lot more to the picture there, though. I agree. And I think that that was a good way to, to wrap this podcast or even to just affirm to everybody, is it really that bad? No, no, it's not as bad as what as what some people might be trying to get you to think. Is it really that bad on certain measures? Maybe. But historically, it's always been what it's been. We're just missing that qualitative piece like you just said. We've been not broadcasting those great things as much as we've been putting emphasis on the other. Right. So... <clears throat> Maybe the way I'd like to close for administrators, for teachers, even for families that feel as though their kids are going to schools that are doing a great job, that the data points that are traditionally used might not say are doing a great job. Don't be afraid to say, I think our school is doing a great job. Yeah, Teachers, don't be afraid, like you said, to build that culture as a building leader where we're focused on the big picture. We're focused on making sure everyone who comes to work here and come to school here loves being here. That's our job, to give you a great experience. Not focused on that great schools number so much. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, if if all we do is focus on that number and we, we just put different programs in place to try and change that number, I will tell you firsthand, as, as an educator, you, you always wonder what that number is going to be in the back of your mind. That will drive you insane because you don't know exactly what you personally did to affect that number. So when you keep doing things with, and don't know what that change is going to be, you're, you're going you're gonna to go a little bit nutty. 
I don't want that to be the focus on educators' minds. I don't want that to be the focus on parents' minds, students' minds, anything. We'll get to a quality education. We will hold ourselves accountable to a high standard, and we will also create happy, thriving kids in our buildings. So just like um, Dr. Joe Holtz told a first-year teacher, Miles O'Shea, over 20 years ago for his language arts classroom, close your door, teach, and do what you know is best for your kids. Do not worry about what people are saying as far as the standards or assessment and any of that goes. I apply that to the year 2023 to schools, to the entire education system, to all educators. Do what you know is best for your kids and focus on the things that you feel are most important. Close your door, do what's best for them. Let all that other sound about this school isn't great or whatever, let that stay out there. Do what you think is best. And you know what, I hate to I hate to have another word on top of that, but I am gonna plug our website. If you don't know what those things are, go to schoolisout.org. Look at some of the things that we've talked about. They're posted there. It's 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 all there. We we we've put that out there for everybody, and you know, there's it, it can be done. It can definitely be done, and we're optimistic about the future, and we're going to keep having conversations about the way to get there, and we're excited about hopefully the resources that we're going to continue to offer people as we are part of the conversation of making positive change. Just like that. This has been the Schools Out Podcast. Continue the conversation and explore past and future episodes at schoolisout.org.